Hello and welcome to episode 312 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today, a day late, for this story from Derbyshire. You know, when I cover murder on my podcasts, each case is of course appalling and devastating for friends and family of the people affected. But we usually uncover some sort of motive, which at least helps us to understand a little better what happened. But today, we're looking at that most unusual of stories. A murder seemingly without motive. Before we start, I just would like to thank all my supporters at Patreon, especially the new members of our community there. That is Evie Rose, Kathleen and Judy Gabrovich. Thank you all so much for your support. Today's episode is brought to you by Noom. For me and most people I speak with, the numbers on the scale aren't the reasons we want to lose weight. For me, it was about getting into sailing properly again and having the energy to do so. Noom's psychology approach has really worked for me as it's really intuitive. For example, I just make sure I don't food shop when I'm hungry or diet during the day and I'll just want to stuff myself with snacks at night. You know how it is. Did you know that so far Noom has helped more than 3.6 million people lose weight? And I hit a personal target myself this week, which always feels great. I shouldn't be surprised though, as active Noomers lose an average of 15 pounds in 16 weeks, and 95% of customers say Noom weight is a good long-term solution. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom weight's psychology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash UKTCpod. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash UKTCpod to sign up for your trial today. Okay, so let's set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. In the UK charts at number 8 sat Dizzy Rascal with Holiday. Many of you will know that one of my two Dalmatians is called Dizzy Rascal. In the US top spot was the Black Eyed Peas with I've Got a Feeling. I wonder if you've heard that track before. (laughs) In Australia, number one in the album charts was Jimmy Barnes with The Rhythm and the Blues. In the news this month, the German federal elections returned Angela Merkel for her second term as Chancellor. My favourite celebrity chef of all time the legend that was Keith Floyd died of a heart attack. Maybe a slurp in his honour later. West Country Television completed the digital switchover process with the turning off of all analogue signals. And this month, father of three Michael Lockett was killed in Afghanistan when an improvised explosive device he was investigating exploded. He was the 217th British soldier to die in Afghanistan since October 2001. He'd previously been awarded the Military Cross in Afghanistan for his leadership, command, control and supreme courage. And finally, in UK True Crime News, three members of the Continuity IRA were jailed in Northern Ireland for 15 years each for having a live mortar bomb. So did you guess the month and year? It was September 2009. Cromford is a village in Derbyshire, located in the valley of the River Derwent, around 20 miles north of Derby and 2 miles south of Matlock. If you head to Cromford today, it's a sleepy place, about 1,500 residents, 
but it wasn't always like this. According to the Peak District Online, Cromford is also known as the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. For this is where Richard Arkwright, perhaps Britain's first ever industrial tycoon and known as the father of the factory system, chose to build the world's first water-powered cotton mill in 1771. That all seems a long time ago if you visit Cromford. Today it's a pretty peaceful place, popular with tourists. The railway station in Cromford is just the one track, and as you stand there patiently waiting for a train, it's hard to imagine that this is the place that could see a terrible murder take place. And it was tourists who discovered the body as they walked down the hill towards the deserted train station in September 2009. Peter Noble and his wife were on holiday in Cromford, enjoying looking at the local sites which for them included the railway station. As they approached, a passerby flagged them down, pointing to a parked Ford Escort car and asked them to call an ambulance. Peter walked towards the car, assuming there'd been an accident of some sort. But when he got there, he did a double take at what he did see. Glass was missing from the back window of the car, and an arm was hanging out. There was blood, and he could see a man whose head was wedged between the boot lid and the side of the car. He was in a ball, in a kneeling position. Peter called 999, saying, There's a minicab in the middle of the road and it looks like there's a body dumped in the back. There's a lot of blood. Oh my God. The dead man was shortly identified as 43-year-old taxi driver Stuart Ludlam, a local man. Just who could have killed Stuart and why? Detectives looked more into the life of Stuart in his last known moments. Married to Paula for 17 years, he had two sons, Jonathan, 15, and Matthew, 12 and a two-year-old daughter, Amy. He'd worked for the same firm in the Matlock area for 15 years, and he was a popular man, popular with his colleagues and customers that he picked up. On the day that he died, he began his shift at 11.45am, but within minutes of leaving the office of MJ Taxis, he couldn't be contacted, and his body was found just 55 minutes later at the station by which time he'd been shot at twice in the head, including when a gunman had fired through the window of his car. Speculation was rife, particularly around the taxi driver community. One driver, John Bailey, said, I don't think it would have been a robbery, because he would just have started working and had very few takings. And detectives were looking at lots of avenues. One was messages on Stuart's Facebook page. Did these messages contain a clue to the motive. One message said that Stuart had been a dead man walking. Another said he was the victim of a personal vendetta. And a third message said the people that did this should never have been allowed to be taxi drivers in the first place. You know who you are. Did this point to some sort of feud, maybe of another taxi firm? Or was there something in Stuart's personal life that was unknown at this stage and actually led to his death? And why had Stuart's body been left like it was? Detectives wondered if the killer or killers may have been disturbed as they dumped his body. 
Chief Superintendent Peter Lewis said, Several people who were in the area at the railway station have given us information, but we're sure there are others who have not yet come forward to speak to us. Police made a direct appeal for information about two people seen on the platform at Cromford Station at about midday on the day that Stuart was killed, and they were also interested in another possible sighting of a man of Eastern European or maybe Turkish origin, said to have been in the area a couple of hours before Stuart's body was discovered. One of the difficulties they knew they faced was in such a tourist area. Would any of these people who were potential witnesses still be around? The local community was in shock at what had happened, and just a week after his death held a two-minute silence out of respect for Stuart. The silence was broken by the horns of the many taxi drivers who had gathered. And following this, Stuart's funeral was, of course, a heartbreaking affair, with pallbearers wearing Derby County scarves, which was Stuart's favourite football team, carrying his coffin into the church, followed by more than 300 mourners. The floral tributes from his young children were especially moving. His son's 15-year-old Jonathan and 12-year-old Matthew, it read, To the best dad a son could ever want, we'll miss you millions. To dad, you love your friends and family, why you? We love you. And another written for his two-year-old daughter, Amy, said, To dad, love you lots, daddy, from Amy. I will miss you, even though I didn't know you for very long. Meanwhile, detectives continued to work on the murder inquiry, but with no success. Until finally, they got the break they desperately needed. One of their avenues of inquiry had been searching for the mobile phone, which had been used to call Stuart and book him as a taxi driver to come to the station. They finally discovered it had been bought from Morrison's in Derby on August the 13th, a few weeks before the murder. An officer checked CCTV at the store and saw a large man completing the purchase. This same man was then seen driving off in the direction of the petrol station at the supermarket, whereupon he put £20 of petrol in the car using cash, but then crucially he used his card for a £5 top-up voucher for his new phone. And this old-fashioned, fantastic police work led detectives to the home of local man 61-year-old Colin Cheatham. He was certainly a big unit at 27 Stone, and he was certainly the man in the CCTV. Cheatham was a former technical director at a dye firm, which tested textiles for companies such as M&S, before he took early retirement because of various illnesses, including diabetes, arthritis, and high blood pressure. He had no previous convictions. Cheatham denied being responsible for Stuart's murder and was arrested and taken to the police station. Meanwhile, detectives began to search his house and they found a number of unusual things. Firstly, Cheatham had filled a large number of bottles with his own urine and kept them in the house. Do you do this? Hmm, yeah, not me. Quite why he did is unclear. They also found a grenade, which led to the whole neighbourhood being evacuated for a while until it was made safe. 
but more pertinent to the inquiry. Detectives also found images of train stations, local train stations, including Cromford, and train timetables. Were they connected to the murder? Surely they must be. They also discovered that Cheatham was a licensed gun holder, and there were a number of pictures of him with his guns posing at his shooting club. When interviewed for the first time on the 27th of September, he said he knew nothing about the killing except what he'd seen on the news. He said that all the photographs of the train stations was because he was looking for a Christmas gift for friends and family, so planned to turn them into a calendar. Gosh, how exciting that would be to receive on Christmas Day, don't you think? When asked about the train timetables at Cromford Station found at his home, he said that this was so he could get a photograph at the platform when it was quiet. But detectives didn't believe him. They discovered that phone calls had been made from three phones belonging to Cheatham to taxi firms who served Cromford Station in the two weeks before the killing. Had he been planning to kill Stuart and been waiting for him to take him as a fare? But why? Why would he do that? It wasn't clear if the two men knew each other at all. Detectives noted that the phone call luring Stuart to Cromford Station had been made two minutes after the 11.44am train to Derby had left the station, and as the next train was not due until 12.18pm and did not stop there, this meant that Cromford Station would have been empty between 11.44am and 1.17pm and Cheatham would have fully known this when he booked Stuart to pick him up at the station. But just two days later, Cheatham changed his story. He now told officers how he thought that he might have been the first person to see Stuart's body when he went to the station to take pictures. He said he saw a car he now knew as Stuart's, with the door open, and he called over to the driver to close the door, but when there was no response, he wandered over, and tried to push the door shut himself, and it was only then that he noticed the body. He told how he panicked, and so he left the scene in a hurry. I've never seen a body before, and what I came across, I thought to be a murder, and I just, I didn't want to get involved, he said. So rather than report this to the police, he made off from the scene in a hurry. But detectives were, understandably, very sceptical about this new account. And there were some specifics that really did not make sense. For example, Cheatham told detectives that when he was at the scene he could see a hole in Stuart's head and so assumed he'd been shot. But when the emergency services arrived, they said it was anything but clear whether Stuart had been shot in the head. Detectives believed that Cheatham planned the murder in great detail checking the best time and location to kill someone. And scarily, they believed that Stuart had been chosen at random. The only explanation was that Cheatham had killed him for fun, for his own enjoyment. Maybe to indulge his lifelong interest in taxis and in firearms by seeing firearms used to kill a person in a taxi. Killing for fun? I mean, surely not. But there seemed to be no other possible motive. But then in March, Cheatham changed his story again. This time he named the killer a man called Jeff. He told how he met a man known only as Stan in a pub 
who later introduced him to another man called Jeff. It transpired that Jeff was having a few issues in his life, and he wanted to use a gun to threaten a drug dealer, a local drug dealer, who he believed was responsible for making his sister June addicted to hard drugs. It seems this was the taxi driver who was shot, according to Cheetah. June had recently moved to the area to go to college, didn't have many friends, and had fallen into this crowd and the drug dealer had encouraged this addiction. Jeff wanted to use Cheatham's gun to scare the drugs dealer and force him into handing over his drugs, which had a street value of thousands of pounds. Cheatham said he was understandably wary at first and said no, but he was persuaded to change his mind only on the condition that Jeff didn't discharge his firearm. Stan and Jeff decided that Cromford train station was an ideal location to carry out an attack on the drugs dealer, and Jeff demanded that Cheatham let him borrow his phone to make the call to the taxi driver. When Stuart arrived, Jeff pulled out his gun, shouting out, I want your stash. When no stash was forthcoming, Jeff shot him. Cheatham claimed to be there when the first shot was fired, but then had left as this hadn't been part of the deal. He came back shortly afterwards, which is when he found Stuart's body in the boot of his car and on finding both his phone and gun at the scene, he quickly disposed of them, because they potentially indicated falsely, in his words, that he was guilty of a crime he did not commit. Despite extensive checks, there was of course no sign of June, Stan or Jeff, and of course Stuart had nothing to do with any drugs. At the trial, the prosecution case opened by saying, it was Cheatham's gun, he had planned it, it was his phone. He had no knowledge of Mr Ludlam, but he had a fascination with taxis and a fascination with guns, and Mr Ludlam was just the unlucky man with whom this fascination ended. The court heard that Cheatham had used three mobiles to call three taxi firms, two of which were based in Derby, 14 days before the murder. The prosecutor asked, was this a dry run or dry runs? Did he get cold feet? and the drivers at these firms just lucky to be alive. Was he testing the signals from the mast for each of his phones so we could carry out his plan at a later date? It's unclear. He said that Cheatham appeared to have no motive other than the desire to shoot a complete stranger. And when Stuart Ludlam arrived in his taxi at the railway station on that quiet morning, Cheatham had fired at him through the rear windscreen, hitting him in the head and injuring him. It was then believed that an utterly terrified Stuart was forced out of his car to the back of his cab where he was made to kneel before being shot in the head execution style. The court heard how Cheatham had planned this killing meticulously with endless visits to different locations until he found the best one for his purpose and also how he'd extensively consulted the train timetables to choose the very best time to carry out the crime. Cheetah had even used this information to make a photo scrapbook out of four potential murder sites, all isolated railway stations, and train timetables to work out the best times and places to commit the crime. He'd even photographed an advert for the taxi firm he would pick randomly his victim from. 
Cheetham was certainly thorough. Despite his claims of innocence, unsurprisingly, the jury unanimously found Colum Cheatham guilty of the murder of Stuart Ludlam. Sentencing him to 30 years in jail, the judge branded Cheatham evil, saying, You decided to execute a man for your own pleasure and gratification. Any man. There was no motive except your own enjoyment. How chilling that you were prepared to put to death a person you'd never met. After the verdict, Stuart's mum, Sheila, said, Nothing will bring Stuart back, but it shows justice has been done. He loved his children with all his heart and all he ever wanted was a little girl. He got his little girl, but now she has no daddy. It's just so sad that now he won't be able to see her grow up or get the chance to walk her down the aisle. I've got so many memories of him and those will never leave me. Since his death it has been just horrible. Such a struggle for all of us. The lead detective also commented outside court saying he had almost committed the perfect murder because he covered his tracks and there were no links back to him and no witnesses. We still have no idea why he did it. The only person who knows the answer is Cheetham, but it looks like it was just the thrill of killing somebody. My only hope is that at some point he can explain to someone why he has done this, as we've never been able to prove a motive or glean the real story about what happened to Cheetham. That leaves many unanswered questions for Mr. Ludlum's family and friends. On the 1st of May 2020, 81-year-old Colin Cheatham died, seemingly from natural causes, in the healthcare unit at Maximum Security Wakefield Prison in West Yorkshire. This meant, of course, he took to his grave as reasons for murdering Stuart Ludlam. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Another shocking story, and three children left without their dad. Another cowardly killer who has chosen not to give family and friends of his victim the answers they so desperately need and deserve. And in this case, I found the elaborate changing of the story particularly distasteful. I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think there's something in the way that if the evidence is against you and your original lies have been seen through, you really just need to stop, don't you, and hold your hands up. I was in Derbyshire earlier this year and I took some time to stand by the small memorial plaque dedicated to Stuart at the approach to Cromford Railway Station where he died. It was a sunny, peaceful day with no wind and as I stood there, I didn't see a single person for about 20 minutes and it all just felt, as we say so many times on this podcast, so ordinary and so normal. The small sleepy railway station where so many of us have caught trains and also been so grateful for a taxi arriving to pick us up. The horror of what happened that late summer day on that spot is a real struggle to comprehend. As of those last moments of Stuart, when already having been shot at, he was marched round his car to kneel in his boots by a gunman. And yet it happened on a normal day to a normal man with a normal job and the same hopes and aspirations as so many of us. And seemingly for no reason at all. 
murder, of course, as we've said, is a terrible thing when we can clearly see a motive. But to be killed for fun and for sport as a family, I don't know how you can deal with that totally pointless taking of the life of someone so loved with so much to live for. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode, slightly delayed episode, of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any aspect of UK True Crime, please just join us on the Facebook group. Just search UK True Crime. That group is 85,000 of us now, 24-7, 365 days a year. It's many things, but boring, it isn't. And to support the show, please join me at patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Loads of bonus episodes, competitions, behind the scenes news. It's a lot of fun. That's patreon.com slash UK True Crime for under a dollar a month and you can cancel at any time. Okay, so that's all for me for today. So thank you again for joining me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast. So until we speak again next week, please, please, please do take it easy. And also, despite all the others, (laughs) all the others, Please stay classy. Cheerio for now.